Welcome to Authority Optional, Leadership Beyond the Rulebook. In this episode, we cover a lot of ground on what to do whether you are a new leader or whether you are a leader that's new to a team, and we even touch a little bit on just getting a new member to your team. We cover things like how to connect, uh, what steps to take first to get to know these people, and we really dive into some of the things that are valuable about laying down expectations right up front and being a good human. Enjoy the show. Welcome to episode one of Authority Optional, uh, Leadership Beyond the Rulebook. We've, uh, we've done a test run, and now we're doing our first official episode. If anybody listens, wish us luck. <laughs> I'm Maximus Powers. You can call me Max. I'm Josh Lemansky. And we're just going to talk today about where to begin as a frontline manager or leader. By the way, a little side note. The leadership title... I don't, I, I'm curious about your opinion on this. I, one of the things that I've noticed lately is that the manager title is getting beat to shit. Like I, I've gone through removed in a lot of instances, removed or used in positions that have nothing to do with management or yeah. like there's a, such a thing as an unaccount manager. You're that's an administrative job or you're managing sales. Yeah. Account you're a salesperson. Man- yeah, yeah, exactly. And then Okay, so then you go for and, and by the way, you can you can test all this if you go look for jobs. You'll find this you'll find this anomaly or whatever this this trend. If you look for leader, then you're looking at things like team leader or shift leader. It's it's always the lowest possible version of leader. If you look for supervisor, that's, you know, usually infers that you run a team. Manager as mentioned, you could not even be in management. You have no people reporting to you. You have, you have clients to manage, and that's not really managing them, selling to them. I'm a little mad about that. I think that's dumb. I think uh, it's interesting, and it plays into today's topic of, you know, what are the first steps of being a frontline manager? One of the big pieces that I know we both agree on is having some sort of a vocabulary for you and your people. So yes, what it means to us to be a salesperson might be an account manager somewhere else, might be a sales lead somewhere else. You know, customer success is a popular term now for customer service. Um, yes. There's nothing new under the sun, but we have to name it something else so that we feel important. Having that vocabulary is really key, and I think that's a great starting point for us because when you're trying to connect with a team, one of the things that you'll struggle with is you have people coming from different places. You have your own vocabulary, your own experiences and your lived experience and how they color that conversation. And this is just a hundred percent. The first thing that you need to do as a manager, in my opinion, is just get on the same page. What are people's skills? Where are they at? Why are they here? Yeah. So today for all intents and purposes, we are talking about being a frontline leader Whatever position, whatever your company or wherever you're at decides to call your position, it doesn't matter. It could They could call you supervisor. They could call you a team lead in some cases. What we're talking about today is you're in charge of a group of sole contributors. So they do not have people reporting to you. They all report to you. This could be a team of three to 20 to 30. How to build relationships or, or what to do to start when you are a, a new leader or an old leader with a new team. You're, you're trying to get to know people. You're trying to get this team gelled, cohesive, on the same page, all those things. That's who we're talking about today. So we're talking about frontline leaders. And focused on direct reports. Correct. Yeah. So even if you are a leader of leaders, this doesn't have anything to do with your leader's direct reports. The people who report to you, they're going to they're gonna focus on the people that report to them. You're focused on the people reporting directly to you. So I think we could agree that it starts with connecting to your teammates and uh, starting to build trust. And I'm specifically notating starting to build trust because one does not build trust in a single instance. Never. (laughs) There's a variety of ways to do that. It'll be interesting to see if we diverge on any areas, but I think for the most part, this is something that you and I agree on. I focus on building relationships. I have, I've been heard to say, and I stand by this with, uh, with, with fervor, Nothing is more important than the relationship. 
my my relationship to the to my ass to this chair has has a bearing on what's happening right now. There's a relationship happening between my butt and this chair. It is comfortable and it is allowing me to sit and not stand and all the things. If you're going to be ridiculous about it, is it warm? Is it supple? Is it comfy? Is y- it, yeah, yeah it's, it's got the pin cushions, whatever. That's not what they're called. Tufted, whatever. So if we're starting with the relationship, and I recommend you always start with the, the relationship, you're going to get a bunch of new people. And again, this could be you. This could be a team you inherited. You could be growing this team over time. It's rare, especially if you're in a corporate environment, that you get to just build your team from scratch. It almost never happens. It certainly never happened to me. Whenever I got to pick my teammates, I had to promote them or groom them or find them. There was there was no such thing as, all right, well, now I need 10 teams. I'm going to start with the leaders. Corporate doesn't work like that. The, the first thing that they need is the boots on the ground. They need people taking phone calls or they need people making sales. Like they're almost always going to start with the, the massive group, massive, whatever that means to the company of sole contributors, different ways to build relationships. And it's always the starting point for a reason. One, one thing I want to back up to, uh, is trust. They're not going to trust you because you're their boss. Uh, it, it's, it's something where there are some managers who are like, they're going to do what I say because I'm their leader and they're supposed to, etc. Anybody who's out there in the audience, you've all gone into a new team and you're uptight. You don't know what to expect. There's political dynamics between you. Sometimes it's just beautiful competitiveness. But at the, mm-hmm. at the core of it all, it's trust. If they trust you on day one, you already had some sort of a relationship with them. That's not what's going to happen. When you come in on day one, it's going to be building from nothing. Uh, Beautiful example for me, when I started to work uh, with Max, and Max was my supervisor or leader or manager. Manager, yeah. Yeah, what kind of vocabulary do we want to have today? (laughs) In that context, I remember this conversation. I had 23 direct reports. It was actually the biggest team on the floor, and I inherited from somebody who uh, was deeply loved and moved on to a different position with the bank, got married, moved on to a different location. So I'm coming into this group that had a manager who cared deeply. They don't know me from Adam, and I've never worked for this bank before. I've never taken a phone call for this bank. And I remember having this conversation uh, with you, and it essentially was, you know, I feel like I'm coming out of left field and I'm not going to have anybody's trust because I've never done the job that they're doing. Uh, to Max's credit, he he responded, do you think any other manager who's been leading people for three, four years through the changes, do you think that, that they've got the ability to just hop on and take a phone call? They probably couldn't navigate the systems. I couldn't. <laughs> and it was this freeing moment where I realized all I had to do was build the relationship. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about your take on different ways to begin that process in learning who they are and who we are as managers, because there's absolutely a give and take. You're never going to get people to trust you. If you're not willing to be authentic and put yourself out there and be vulnerable, which we'll get into uh, a little bit, you have to be able to put yourself to that same fire or you're never going to be seen as authentic. They're never going to trust you. What's, what's your take on the starting point for that conversation. Okay. Who, who are you and who am I and where do we have aggregate common ground? So where, where I would start has no bearing on what role that person played, whether they were a leader or a sole contributor, the, the answer was always the same. I just spent the first, however many meetings it took getting to know them. It was asking them questions and, and it's always going to be awkward and stilted at first. They don't know what, you know, what's allowed, especially in your case, you're new to the company, yeah. which means you have no history with me, no history with any, any, but one of your peers and people come away with, and, and we'll get into this later. This is a term that Josh coined and, and we're going to talk about it. So don't, don't trigger, but we call it job PTSD. You could call it trauma. We understand that PTSD is a big ass deal comes from, you know, fleeing a war torn country or actually fighting in wars or experiencing legit, you know, life or death trauma. So we understand that. So, you know, don't call the cancel police on us. It's just it's just a phrase that we kind of all came to understand. We could shorten it to work trauma. What happens is that that causes you to be cautious. So the things that you go, oh, I'm a musician and I'm married and I have two kids and. But you're not going to say things like, uh, you know, as it as it happens, I, I tend to, uh, you know, 
I, I, I like to take my time with learning things. You know, so a lot of people will say, well, I, I learn quickly. Some things, but not everything. You're not going to get that in the first conversation unless that person is strong as hell, Brene Brown, ready to be vulnerable with anybody at any time. Like you're not going to get that kind of information out of somebody, but that's the kind of information that you want to get. Because once you get to know somebody, truly get to know somebody, then you can actually help them and they'll actually feel oh, you, you know this about me and yet you still like me or I'm still welcome on the team and I'm not going to get hobbled because I'm admitting I don't learn everything fast. You don't say that in an interview. In an interview, you just, you bark out, oh yeah, I, I learned quickly and you know, blah, blah, blah. The way to get to know somebody truly is I like to start with things like, what are you about? So outside of work, inside of work, you just go. You just tell me whatever the things that, that you're about and that gives people the the choice to go whatever direction they want to go. Maybe maybe they want to talk about, you know, the kind of leadership style they prefer. Some people are just going to want to get into, well, I'm at work, so we're going to treat this like a business relationship. Cool. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. If somebody launches into their life and their lifestyle, also fine. That's that's great. The whole purpose is I want to get to know you as a human. You are three-dimensional. I want to know all of the different components that make this three dimensions, these three dimensions, but let's, let's just take a tack real quick. Let's, let's pick a direction and say, um, they want to talk about, well, here's the kind of work environments that I thrive in. And by the way, if they're not offering this information, find a way to dig it out of them. It's so important to know what their expectations are. So that's, that's what I'm, we're going to call this umbrella, <clears throat> discovering and implementing expectations. We'll put that on the screen. You want to know what they expect out of you as a boss. Here's, here's a good one because this, this is a jag you can go on. The first time you say the words, hey, can you come to my office? I need to talk to you. I remember that day. How are they going to feel? How are they going to respond? Is it going to cause them? Is that going to trigger them? Me personally, if I were to go back to work for somebody right now and they say, hey, can I talk to you in my office? It would, it would not flag. For me, I would have no pulse. Be like, sure. Like, this must need to be private. And there are lots of reasons for a conversation to be private, right? But other people have different experiences from previous jobs, from whatever else happened in their life. So you want to get to know that as soon as possible. Hey, in fact, if I could have our conversation over again, our first conversation, I would have been like, hey, if I call you into my office for a conversation, are you going to get freaked out? <laughs> That's a great question to ask. I only know that now after years of, of experience and, and relationship with you. The short version of answering your question is, I, I want to get to know somebody enough so that they feel comfortable to have a, a conversation with me about expectations, more importantly, boundaries. Because this is the time for me to get out what my expectations are as well. If I'm the leader, I'll give you an example of something that I've told every human that has ever worked for me that I can remember. I can be your best friend and move mountains for you, or I can make you very uncomfortable. There's a lot of gray in between, but I prefer to be the guy who moves mountains for you. The only way that I'm not going to be that guy is if you're not doing your best and I can smell it. I just know when people are not giving me their best shot. As long as I know, as long as I can tell that you are giving it your best, I will crush opposition for you. I will hold back boulders. I will do everything in my power to make your life easier to make your job easier because that to me, and this is another expectation that they can understand. For me, this is something I always said, my job is to make your job as easy as possible. Yeah. Because if your job is as easy as possible, you may want to do more for, you know, in the role. Um, you will enjoy your job, which will make you a much easier person to be around. And you will radiate that to your teammates, to your, to the people that report to you, if you're happy or satisfied or content, whatever word you want to use, if you feel good about your job, you're just going to kick more ass. And, and that's, and that goes all the way around. So what about you? A lot of the same pieces, uh, the common language, and I think you need a starting point. I like to use one simple question and I ask everybody, and I think it's important to say this, these are conversations for one-on-ones. This will, mm. you, you will never start to develop trust in that arena of a wide open meeting where there's 10, 15, 20 other people and you're asking deep or vulnerable questions about their life, the things they want, what they want to have. So these, for me, the context is absolutely those one-on-ones, which are, I think, critical to the relationship. Excellent call out. Yeah, you're right. 
so that my first question is always the same. And sometimes it shocks people, which kind of blows me away. But, you know, when you're working with frontline employees, it might be an entry level position. It's why are you here? And understanding your why. Uh, shout out to Simon Sinek. If you have not watched his TED Talk on the Golden Circle and know your why, go watch it and then come back to this. And or read the book. He's got a whole book about it's, it and he helps you discover your why. Yeah. yeah. I've shared it numerous times in meetings, in one-on-ones as a discussion starter. But the the core of this is you could work for any bank, any call center, any any job. Why are you here? What is it about this this job? Answers range all over the place, but the core of where I'm going with it is what is your dream job? Mm. So one of the things that we'll talk about in a future episode is intent. My intent as a manager is to give you the tools that you don't have to get to where you want to go. So closing skill gaps, closing knowledge gaps, getting opportunities to lead and have autonomy, thrive, guide others. Uh, It's funny because when we talked about leadership at the beginning, I have met kick-ass leaders who are sole contributors. They don't even understand the influence that they hold with their peers. And if you learn to cultivate and watch that and you see in a meeting, for instance, when somebody speaks and people gravitate to that, there are natural leaders in the room and cultivating that leadership, everybody deserves that, in my opinion. Development is something that you should be doing for every employee. It's how I engage people. But it starts with, why are you here? And what is your dream job? And that second question is not easy for some people. They're, they're living paycheck to paycheck. They are here because the job was available and they had the skill set mm-hmm. and they took the job. Yeah, they're not expecting what's your dream job because if, especially if you're working in a contact center in a bank, you're like, what do you mean? What's, I mean, not this. Yeah. That, is that what you're looking for? Like, no. What is your real dream job? Because part of it, and imagine this direction you're heading is, what can I do to help you get there? I don't expect you're going to be a, a contact center employee all your life. Yeah. You, you don't have to be. There's nothing. I think people have a lot of expectation when they go into a job. They're expected to live and breathe and bleed that job. And this is part of what we're going to. Sorry to hijack. You're fine. This is part of what we're going about trying to educate the masses on or, or just even if we're not educating anybody, just get these ideas out there. So if you have these same ideas, you're not alone. Like just this, this is real, which is when I did it. Like, listen, I, I know you don't want to be on the phones. I like, I get that. It's fine. I didn't want to be on the phones either. I will say when I start asking you about your dream job and you start saying to get off the phones, we're going to have a whole different conversation about how you're going to achieve your goals because that's not a real goal. Right. Getting off the phones is fine, but pushing away from something is not nearly as powerful as pulling yourself towards something. So if you know what you want and wanting off the phones is that's, that's too amorphous. You could do anything about it. You could quit and be off the phones. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, so I'm going to hand it back, but I, I just wanted to specify the importance of asking what's your dream, dream job is to get them to understand very quickly. We're not just about you being a contact center employee or admin or insert job that isn't their dream job. Nobody put a headset on their head when they were three years old and be like, I'm going to be a customer service agent. Nobody did that. You ever had that manager who's like, you know, you're, you're really smart and you're good at your job. And if you play your cards right, you might, you might be able to have my job someday, which may be the most horrific thing to them in the whole world. Today I'm washing lettuce, but tomorrow (laughs) I'm going to be sweeping the floors. (laughs) That's fantastic. Uh, It's very much what they want to get out of it. That is the core. And when they don't understand that, you're going to have people who are showing up for the paycheck, uh, the routine. Uh, you know, I think we've all probably been in that position where we've shown up to a job for months at a time with no particular direction. It's just what we did to make money to pay the bills. Absolutely. So the point behind this in engaging people is to find out what makes them tick, what their strengths are, which we can we can get into different ways to discover different ways to discover how people actually work and can thrive. But that difference, it's it's this niche thing. And this is the real core of why we're doing this. It's a nuanced thing for everybody. Just the idea of I have a skill set that might translate to something else or this job that I would love to have that. I'm nowhere near qualified for. You have to understand sometimes it may take you two or three or five years of progress and learning and knowledge and closing. But if that's your dream, my job as a leader 
not to manage you and manage the situation, which you can do and in some instances you might have to do, but real leadership is opening doors that people don't even think about. I call them emotional doors. You keep bringing something up, Max, and, and we keep talking about this in, in a certain context. And, you know, we keep bringing this up. Do we want to talk about this and walk through this emotional door? Things that might be holding you back. Um, it might be just the simple fact of time and what that looks like. You have to have a dialogue with people to find out what engages them and who they are and what they want. Because as a leader, it is not about you. I want to go one more layer deeper into the why, because your why is important as well. And you and I have talked about this at length, which is why are you a leader? Like let's, let's, let's put aside for just a second, the fact that you have a team and that you're going to get to know them in the whole purpose of episode one. Let's talk about why you're a leader, because for me, if you don't get joy out of developing others or interacting with people. If, if you don't care, that's really the word I think that I'm, I, I get hung up on in order to ask somebody and be engaged in a conversation with their dream job and how they might go about getting it and what you can do to help. You have to give a shit. Agreed. And if you don't, if you don't care, please don't lead people. Please don't be in charge of others because Humans can tell, we can feel it in our bones when somebody doesn't care. It, it's the same way that you can, a lot of people can tell, unless you're, unless you're really tuned out, like you can kind of tell when somebody's being disingenuous. Like you just know. If you're a psychologist or a negotiator for a living, you might be able to pinpoint the different body language signals that are happening or what's dilating in our eyeballs or whatever. That might be a way, you might be able to know. But most of us, most of us normal people can just tell when somebody's being fake. So... Don't be fake, man. If you don't like people and if you can't be bothered to care about what happens to somebody through this period of time that they're going to be working with you, find another gig. Go be a sole contributor yourself. There's all kinds of work that you can do now from home, technologically, whatever. Like, please don't be in charge of people. If you're in charge of people, I man, I hope. I hope you care. I hope you give a shit about other humans because they are now in your care. And we're this is likely to be a whole episode on its own. Mm. Um, we've mentioned him a couple times already. Simon Sinek <clears throat> wrote a book called Leaders Eat Last, which is our biological need to have leaders and why and where we come from and the evolution of that and the chemicals that happen and all the things. Like People prefer to be led. I do. I, I absolutely. like. I, I always want to be in charge. I want to run my own company. I don't want anybody telling me what to do, but I love having a good leader. I have one that always springs to mind. His name is Rob. Rob, if you're watching or listening, you know who you are, buddy. If I have a Rob, I am happy to report to somebody and I am happy, thrilled to put my work in their hands and trust that they're going to go defend the tribe or whatever it is, like they, whatever it is that you need your leader to do, they, they, you're expecting them to take care of you because that's their job. My job was to, even when I was leading leaders, their job that, okay, so you got the bankers, the people who are taking phone calls, their job are to service the customers, the leaders that they report to their job is to make their bankers jobs as easy as possible. Make sure that they feel comfortable and safe and knowledgeable in taking care of our customers. That's their job. And my job was to take care of my leaders to make sure that they felt comfortable and confident and safe to make sure that their bankers felt, et cetera, et cetera. But all that starts with, you got to care because if you don't, it's all going to fall apart and people are going to figure out very quickly. I bet anybody listening to this podcast has had at least one boss that they suspected didn't really give a shit about them. They felt like a number. Maybe, I guarantee it. Maybe they even felt like the company didn't give a shit about them. That's way more common, by the way. It is much more common to work for a company that you feel like a number in than it is to feel like a leader that you feel like just another heartbeat to. And, and that's even being kind. Like You might just be a set of hands that types on a computer to them as far as they're concerned, as long as they're, you're making your numbers. So, to sum up, <laughs> why is super important in both directions. Start with your own figure it out because you'll be much more in tune with their why I would say like yeah. if you're asking somebody why are you here and then you have to dive in like oh well I, I need money I need I need a paycheck so I can pay for rent and feed my kids great but why here this is this I'm taking this right out of your book why are you here 
well, you're the ones that called me back. Okay, that's a start. But you applied here. Did you apply to 100 places? You know, like, drill down. Get, get, why, are you, why are you in this seat right now talking to me, having this one-on-one where you're, I'm, I'm going to help you get on board with doing your job and then hopefully yeah. take care of you? You're starting to cross over into a conversation about uh, ideals and values and mm. people sometimes don't understand why they would make those decisions or if we want to get metaphysical about it, uh, you know, one of the things that we'll get into as a way to connect is something that I've used in every role I've had for the last seven or eight years, which is Clifton Strengths. Mm. Also known as Strengths Finder. Yes. So my, my first strength is belief, and it is the value set of how I believe things should happen, how it should be conducted. If it's outside of those values, it makes it very difficult for me. And the second one is connectedness. I believe that we are put in these different situations with the people that we are with, with purpose. It's, it's not even so much uh, spiritual as, you. I, I prefer vibration of the universe. Yeah, connectedness. Um, it's that connectedness of why are we in this place together? My value set is coloring the fact that I believe we're here for a reason. Um, I believe in developing people. I don't believe that it's about me. And it's what do I have that I can give away to help somebody up the ladder and put myself in that same position for somebody to do that for me. So back to what you were talking about with having a Rob yeah. who sees your value set, believes in what you're capable of, and feeds into that, asks awkward questions that make you think and reflect. And here's the big thing that I, I feel like was a secret until probably the last three or four years. That doesn't have to be your manager. You don't have to be that for somebody else. If you don't have a Rob in your life or a Max in your life, uh, as I did in that situation, go find a mentor. Find somebody outside of your organization who believes what you believe, who has the value set. Go watch Simon Sinek, the Believe What You Believe. Yeah, find a mentor. Excellent point. Find a mentor and be a mentor to somebody else. You will learn more about who you are, what you believe, why you do what you do, and the things that are important to you by helping somebody else than you will ever understand by reading a book or you know trying, trying to do that for yourself in a self-reflective state is important. You need that external input because it's new perspectives um, and hopefully... This podcast will do that uh, for you in some sense as well of giving you some of that perspective. So I think looping back around to the what we've talked about so far, you need to engage them. You need to know them. They need to know you. There are a myriad of ways that you can do that. Uh, I talked about Clifton Strengths out there in the world of business. The things that I think are really common: disc assessments, Myers Briggs, different surveys. There are personality tests, if you want to call it that. Typically, the organization that you work for will have something like that ingrained into their workforce development. If they do not, then it might be a little more difficult because of the simple fact you, you need to find something like that where you can figure out what makes people tick at this basal level. You know, I think that's a whole, like Clifton Strengths is a whole episode by itself. This is kind of like um, like pro tip. If you're if you're a frontline leader, if you're new to the company, Actually, especially if you're new to the company. If you're not, you may already know the answer to this. Find out if there is a budget for these kinds of things. For instance, um, at some point, <laughs> and Josh came in at a period of time where this was true, part of being a leader for me is I hand you a stack of books and go, we've all read all of these. Get to work. As, so as soon as humanly possible, I encourage you to catch up. By the way, we're, our, we're still in the middle of another book. So one of these books in this stack we're currently reading together and we treat it like a book club. Like we, we, we decide on a chapter or a number of pages or whatever that we're going to read over the course of the week. We had weekly meetings and every week part of that part of the meeting was to discuss what we what we read, what we discovered. Did anything stand out? Sometimes people didn't have anything stand out to them and they kept quiet or they would hear something from somebody else and go, oh, I totally missed that. And then going back to the pro tip. I, I asked my leader, like, what, what is my budget? What can I use it on? And I had a budget. I was very fortunate in, in the earlier days. By the time I left the company, there was no such thing as a budget. But in the earlier days, I had a number of hundred dollars, hundreds of dollars, whatever it was, three, four, five hundred bucks. And I was allowed to spend that on 
you know, specified things. There was obviously stuff I could not, I couldn't buy lottery tickets, you know, I, I couldn't buy alcohol, of course. But generally speaking, there back then in the glory days, there weren't a lot of rules. So I was like, I'm going to buy 10 books, well, 11 or 12 books. And I'm going to have, so I would buy a couple of extra in case new leaders would cycle in. I'd have that one to give to that person. Um, but yeah, if you, if you came along after the first few years, somebody like Josh got handed a stack of four or five books and like all of your peers and myself, we've all read these books. We read them together. So you don't get the benefit of that, but there are going to be things you hear us make reference to. That's part of our culture that are in these books. And I recommend at, at your earliest convenience getting into that. So like I said, if you're new to a company, ask those questions. If you're not new to a company, ask those questions. Like if you don't know whether or not you have a budget, ask. If you don't know whether or not they will pay for Clifton Strengths, which used to be called Strengths Finder 2.0, which used to be called just Strengths Finder, whatever, that book is like 15 bucks. And if you've got 10 people on your team, just go, can I have 150 bucks to buy books? And order them from Amazon, have them take the tests and, and do all the things. But that that kind of stuff is stuff is very connecting to yeah. people. Uh, let's be specific about how do you make that happen when you don't have a budget? So there's a training budget, there's an L and D budget. Uh, you may have a personal budget. You may not. The most recent position I had, I didn't have a budget. Here's, here's what we did around a book club. Hmm. Uh, first of all, Clifton strengths was something that people knew and understood. They'd done it, uh, where I was working before, but it wasn't current. Hmm. There was no budget. I did an S bar. So the situation, the background, the action, and the result that I'm looking for, about a half a page, I want to spend $19.99 or $15.99 or whatever version uh, that you're doing. And there are different versions um, and there's strengths uh, and weaknesses in, in the different types. But putting together this $150, bucks, what is the return on that investment for engaging people? We have the anecdotal information of literally about probably 200, 250 individuals that have gone through this, that have been in discussions with leaders, managers. Uh, I did a culture change project at the bank that we both worked at where the implementation for this was training managers on Clifton Strengths and how they could leverage that to engage employees, learn who they are, what they want, why they want it, etc. So this isn't something that's esoteric. This is something where there were boots on the ground, hours and hours of conversation and teaching, learning it whether it's a managerial level or learning at the frontline level, the return on investment is this. When you have an engaged group of individuals, they show up to work. They want to show up because you're, you're building in the things that they want to do on a daily basis. You're going to build the things that are their strengths into their daily routine of their work. We'll go deeper into that, but I wanted you to have the reason in this context because you are making an investment. The company might make the investment of 150 bucks, but you're making the investment of time. Nothing is more important to your people than being able to spend a half an hour or God bless us, an hour once a week uh, and taking that time. That might sound overwhelming to you, but when we break it down and we're looking at future episodes, things like intent, um, things like being authentic and how that all culminates together in creating this culture for a team. We're going somewhere with this. This isn't just a, a conversation in the dark. You need to know them. They need to know you and you need to know for both of you. Why are you doing this? The concept is wherever possible, get these assessments, find you know, these personality tests, whatever you want to call them. Because first and foremost, what you're helping people do, and everybody universally loves doing this, is get to know themselves a little bit better. Yeah. It connects dots. We, we keep going back to the word connection, but I'm going to use you as an example. Josh is a person that likes everybody to get along. Well, there's a top... Harmony, Harmony is in my top five. There's a top five talent called Harmony. And that was, that was a light bulb. Once, once you understood and read what usually happens with that strength, you were like, oh, this is why... It's why it's so important to me. Here's one of the things that, um, real quick aside, just because this is a great example of how assessments can help build relationships, can help build connection. A, a person like Josh who wants everybody to get along finds it hard to believe other people don't feel the same way. Why wouldn't you want everybody to get along? Somebody who is um, competitive. Competitive is one of my top five. 
why don't you always want to win? I, I just don't understand. Competitive people don't understand non-competitive people and vice versa. That's the whole point is to help somebody understand themselves. And then they, by learning themselves, they also learn other people. And if you're sharing this information from these assessments, you go, oh, that's why you're such a dick about blah, blah, blah. Or this is why I have a tendency to shy away from those kinds of things or whatever, whatever the case is, you help people understand themselves, which, and if you're encouraging the conversation, you help them understand each other, which builds to cohesion, which is the whole point of today's episode. This is what we're getting at. You're trying to get to know your team. And and by the way, this works in a couple different directions. So here's where I'm going to tangent just a bit. When you're getting to know team, you're also getting to know the people that you work with laterally. So if you are on a larger team, even if you're, even if it's like your next closest team is another department. So if you got to be interdepartmental, it's still incumbent upon you to build those relationships. So meanwhile, you, you have, once you become a leader, your responsibilities start growing exponentially. So again, if you don't care, it's not the job for you. Don't be in charge of people. Okay, I'm, I'm done beating that horse. But one of the things that I, as, as a matter of fact, it's it's almost as important and they, they go back and forth between which one is important. When somebody would promote up to, we're going to use the term supervisor, all right? Just for sake of that ease of this, of this podcast, for our experience, I was a manager. People reporting to me were supervisors. People reporting to them were bankers, all right? So when I promoted a supervisor, I would tell them, uh, you know, get to know them. And then I'd say, how are you getting to know your team? How are you getting to know our team? And there was no such thing on my team, on our team, as you can't just dislike somebody. That's not acceptable to me. My team has to get along because, and, and again, we're just, I'm going to use a personal example. One of the first conversations, because this, this was an expectation of mine. This was, it was super important for people who are newly appointed leaders on my team for them to know. Have you ever seen 300? Are you familiar with King Leonidas? Do you understand the concept of why they carried shields? Their shield was never for them. Their shield was always for the person to their left. If you cannot be bothered to protect your peer, even from me, and I believe it or not, it happened. If you cannot be bothered to protect the person to your left and trust that the person to your right is protecting you, we have a lot of work to do. And it's not to say that you're not going to be a good fit for this. It's just... I'm telling you the expectation that at some point, if I come to you with what happened here and you, and your instinct is, well, it's not my fault. You, I'm looking at your shield and I never want to look at your shield. So that was just my particular example. And I would tell them because especially for people who had been through some job trauma, like who maybe had been thrown under the bus a time or two, I'm asking you to trust that this is the way I operate. I understand that it will take time for you to see evidence in this and I'm going to fast forward, and this will be a whole other episode probably, the, the power of mistakes. But just to give you a quick overview, the first time somebody ever made a mistake was always, almost always maybe, the time when they saw that I was not lying when that first conversation. Because the first time somebody comes to me with a mistake and I go, what happened? And they start defending themselves and I go, no, 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 it's not what I'm asking. Like, lay out for me the steps that led to this error. And then they go, well, I, all it ever took was them to just go, yeah, it's, it's my fault. I dropped the ball. I did this. And then I would go, cool. What's the plan? And that's nobody what it's never what they're expecting. They're always expecting, well, you should know better. What, whatever, whatever the dressing down people normally get from corporate. I yeah. loved mistakes and I would tell them that in the front, but again, fast forwarding, they have to see it that this, these first conversations and going back to what I said in the beginning, starting to build trust. And the way that you do that is you, you make some promises and then as you carry on through the job and over the weeks and months, you fulfill those promises. And by the way, this is also how you are a great customer service agent. You, the customer calls you with a problem. You say, all right, sounds good. I'd be, I'd be frustrated too. I'm going to take care of this, this, and this. And by the end, I'm going to have a case number for you. And then you go about telling them that you've done these things. And by the end, you have the case number. You fulfilled a bunch of promises. Don't you trust people who keep their promises? That's just kind of generally how it works. I want to roll back into some psychology and some organizational psychology. Do it. <clears throat> so uh, one of the things that can create trauma, you know, we talked earlier about acute trauma, the things that, that most people would associate with things like PTSD. One other form of trauma is 
a lower level trauma, but over a long duration, and it can create the same effects. For instance, if you've ever had that instance at work where out of nowhere, your boss is like, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? Or you just get an IM that says, can you come into my office? Mm -hmm. And you don't know what it is. And you have past experience of coming into somebody's office, whether it's being dressed down or asked difficult questions that you're not prepared for because no heads up was given, being asked for data that you might not have. And it's like, oh, God, am I ready for just whatever question they're going to ask? And there's stress involved with that. There's a piece of me that wants to say some of you might deserve that. But then (laughs) on the flip side, we're all five-year-olds when it comes to trauma and stress. Uh, and so I want to, I want to go into this analogy that Max and I talked about the other day that, that I think really paints the picture uh, a little better, especially if you are a parent, um, an aunt, an uncle, somebody who, who knows people who have kids. So pretty much all of you, if I take my eight year old and I go into the kitchen and it's the first time that they're ever going to cook their own egg and I'm like, go ahead and make your own egg. And I let them do it. They, they're going to bust eggs. They're going to drop things on the floor. They're going to get egg on the stove. They're going to hit it too hard on the side of the pan and splatter it everywhere. If my reaction to them doing something for the first time is to yell at them, what do you think is going to happen the next time I come back and be like, hey, go ahead and make your own breakfast. I'm grabbing some cereal and some milk and I'm putting it in a bowl and I'm done. I'm never doing that again. Do we have Pop-Tarts? I don't, <clears throat> right. I don't think I can fuck that up. There's there's more to this in the ideas of creativity and innovation and building a team that actually creates things, um, processes, procedures that streamlines things. Nobody's going to do that unless they have psychological safety. So I think what you're talking about here is establishing trust in that psychological safety. Everybody makes mistakes. If you're perfect... Um, well, I know the day I'm perfect, I'm going to be a lot harder to live with. That'll be, there's a big crossing <laughs> over point there where it's like, no, no, I'm sorry. You don't, you don't know who I am. I don't know. <laughs> uh, we've made mistakes as leaders. Um, assumptions happen sometimes, but there are ways that you can eliminate that in the conversation. But the most important part of this building trust, you must understand failure will be a part of what you're doing as a manager because people are learning And when people are learning, they make mistakes. And if you can embrace those mistakes and understand, you know, I've I've used this analogy. If you were to go through the Edison Museum, there's a whole bunch of stuff on the shelf that didn't work. Right. He's really well known. He became one of the wealthiest men in the world at the time because of his invention. There were trials and trials. It's it's interesting. um, As a creative person, we might write a song, do music. I play in a couple of different bands. The song that you're hearing at the venue, the night that we are playing it for you, is not what it sounded like the first time that we tried to play it. Be ready to break some eggs, be ready to accept the fact that there's an investment to be made there, and be ready to accept people for their authentic selves, including all the lumps and warts, and the fact that if you mutually have this vocabulary, if you are establishing trust, and you create a space where they can make a mistake and grow as opposed to make a mistake and be belittled, this is a huge step towards you building value in self-worth and in a team. We're getting very detailed, more so than I think we intended to, to establish what should you do when you first take over a team, whether, like I said, however that happens. These are great examples of setting expectations, and I actually think that that's there's a whole episode that could be dedicated to what are the kinds of conversations and how they fleshed out. Cause I, I know all of the things that I've always said to the first, first time or two. So what we want to do, what we want to cover this time is what are the steps you can take? So number one, we talked about building relationship, build a trust. You, you're starting that process. And all of this, when you're setting down expectations and getting to know theirs is you were laying the groundwork for trust. So everything that you just said, that that is that is one of the expectations that I would tell people is you know very quickly, listen, I love mistakes. I'm all about them. That's been my best teacher. All of the coolest shit I've ever learned has come from messing something up royally. Here's my deal. If you make a mistake, you either I didn't teach you or it doesn't come natural to you or or whatever. The second time you make the same mistake is a different conversation. And by the way, this is an expectation layout. This is me setting the groundwork. You are super allowed to fuck things up a bunch of times. Like you can make as many mistakes as you can stand as, as anybody can stand. 
The conversation will change if I have taught you, if I have addressed the thing, and you make the same exact mistake again, that's a different conversation. Then it's like, okay, where did I go wrong? Again, still, I mean, I'm, I'm taking it's always leadership's fault. This is another expectation. And there's, there's definitely, there'll be like multiple episodes dedicated to accountability, self accountability. You cannot hold other people accountable. You can only hold yourself accountable. And we'll get into that. I want to correct myself. Okay. It's always leadership's fault until it's not until it's not. So we'll get it. Like I said, that's a whole thing. We'll get into that. But if you're laying an expectation to say, I, I welcome failure. I welcome errors. I welcome mistakes. However, what you should know about me is that once we have addressed the mistake and I've discovered what your plan is to avoid that mistake in the future, then the next time, if, if there is a next time, which I'm hoping there won't be, that's the whole point of having a plan. The next time will be, where did we go wrong? Was it in the plan? Was it in my delivery of education? Did you not understand? The third conversation, now we're going to get a little uncomfortable because now I'm going to address the elephant in the room, which is you can't or won't, which is it. Because you've been taught twice about this thing, and we've had lengthy conversations. And a quick aside, the one-on-ones should be as long as they ever need to be. I mean, there's a window. You don't want to get too much longer than an hour in a lot of cases, especially if people have work to do. But you want to have you want to have enough time to let people to breathe. I think we can agree with that. Much yeah. much like you'll experience with this podcast. But the third time, and again, I'm stating this. I'm telling people up front. This is an expectation of mine. By the third time I'm addressing the same mistake, I'm going to say you can't or won't, which is it? Because both are bad. But let's at least find out if you are incompetent in this area. And I don't mean that like a four-letter word. There are things I am incompetent incompetent in. There are things I am incapable of doing. Josh is a singer, songwriter, and badass guitar player. I am incompetent when it comes (laughs) to doing any of those three things. I'm not mad about that. I am accepting of that. So if my job was to be in a band and I was claiming that I'm a musician and then I get up there and I'm flicking dissonance and singing bad notes and they're like, whoa, 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 you said you're a musician. All right, it turns out I'm not. <laughs> like, all right, well, we have to have a whole conversation about why you're even in this band, right? So just to use that as an example. But laying the groundwork, that's what you're doing. Setting expectations so that you can later fulfill promises. Whichever direction those promises go, it's still important to keep them. I would, I'm going to use the kid, a kid example is you guys better shut up back there. I'm going to turn this car around. If they don't shut up, you better turn that car around because kids need to understand that you're not just threatening. They need to know that there's not empty, like that's not discipline and all kids need and crave some version of discipline. So if you say, Hey, if you keep doing this thing, this consequence will happen. And that consequence never happens. Guess who's never going to believe you. So that's, that's true for, we're all five-year-olds. It's true as an adult, just as true as it is as a kid. But all of this gets into encouraging and being vulnerable. This one, you're going to plant the seed in the first conversation, but you're not likely to make a bunch of headway at first. This is the kind of thing that's going to have to be shown over time. As an example, um, one of the things that I would do to incorporate vulnerability um, and we've talked about this a bunch because it was it was more impactful than I ever thought it would be, is at some point I started formatting our meetings with, we started with two things, recognition and epic fails. Now, in the beginning, especially in the beginning, when we're all building trust and, and, and being vulnerable with each other, your epic fails have to re- relate to you and your recognition has to relate to somebody else. Now, eventually we all got comfortable and those things got interchangeable. (laughs) (laughs) That's a whole different dynamic of trust. Established trust. Very established. That's that's a big, solid base. But we're going to focus in specifically on epic fails. So that is an... uh, This is a topic or an area where people are encouraged to say something that happened over the last week that they're not proud of. Um, And we've... I I mean, we heard some great ones. I, I... one of these days we'll have a whole episode based on epic fails and I'll tell you some of the great examples. And we may even start this podcast going forward with some epic fails that Josh and I have experienced over the last week, because if you're not failing every week, you're not trying hard enough. Yeah. (laughs) Growth happened from last week to this week. We can tell you that. Absolutely. So what I would encourage if, if you're going to do this as a leader is to lead, lead by example, (laughs) say, (laughs) <laughs> we're laughing because I just had to adjust my seat. I'm trying not to have it pick up in the, in the microphone. So you say we're going to have epic fails. I'll start. 
and then you reveal something, some mistake or error in judgment or something dumb that you did from the week before, and you just admit it freely and be prepared for people to laugh if it's funny. In fact, hopefully you're in trying to get people to laugh. Like laughter is super powerful and incredibly welcomed in the workplace. And you can tell there's a difference between people laughing at you and laughing with you and laughing at the situation. And if you're, if you are opening up and saying, I made this mistake, you are, you are protecting yourself in a way by saying, I understand that this is funny and you may laugh. You're that vulnerability is now coming with strength. And that's the whole point of being vulnerable. It is powerful. And in a person who is able to be vulnerable is much stronger than the person who's trying to pretend that they're perfect. We all know these people. We're going back to fake. Nobody's perfect. And we all know this in our bones. So anybody who's trying to act like they're perfect, we know they're a liar. We just know it. Epic fails. I would open it up and say, all right, who's got some epic fails? And then we would go around the table and not everybody had one. Sometimes it's, it takes a little while to warm up. And in other meetings, half the meeting was filled with people like, I got some doozies from last week. Do you have anything you want to add to that? Yeah. Um, when you're a new manager, uh, Epic Fails is going to be led by you. There probably won't be anybody on your team that's going to be like, hey, let me tell you on the first week how I screwed up. Um, and maybe a couple of weeks of yeah. you going... I'm going to open up to Epic Fails. Here's mine from last week. And you might get crickets and go, all right, well, I'm not going to force anybody. Well, and, and it's not without purpose. When we would go through and do Epic Fails, it might be testing something. It might be the fact that I think we could do X in a better way. And so I'm going to pilot this with some people on my team and we would try something and we would come back and explain to the management group that um, it didn't work, why it didn't work. Uh, and people learn from that. People stop wasting time. The best thing that would happen with Epic Fails is, did you do X or Y or Z when you did that? Mm. Oh, no, I didn't think of that. Now you go back to the table and you are going to try it again, except with a better perspective, whether that's somebody who's been the frontline employee or somebody who has actually put together processes that in a way maybe you haven't before. And that's a strength for them. And you learn through that process. So I'm going to share something. The, the last role that I had was a government role and uh, it was managing a very large grant and uh, a team of five. And we went to have our very first meeting. We had, I think it was 32 subrecipients on this phone call is what we were attempting to plus the periphery. So it might be the, the, the leader, the, the people who received the funding of the grant. So from yeah, the, so from the state. Yeah. You like, let's not do <clears throat> If, do jargon, but like, let's. So, what is a subrecipient? A subrecipient is someone who actually applied for funding and was reviewed, and it was deemed that that was a, a good stewarded use of funding, and they were awarded a certain amount of dollars to go do that work. Okay. So, in this instance, we were having this meeting. I think there were fifty people, and we did a Teams call through MSN Teams. What we didn't know was that the state of Idaho's MSN Teams is only internal. We had, I think, 37 or somewhere around 40 people sitting, waiting, wondering what was happening. They couldn't get in. We literally had to go out, change the entire platform of the meeting, resend the emails, and start sending out text messages, calling where appropriate. Within a five to 10 minute period, we recouped about 80% of the people who were waiting but couldn't get on on that first call, and we recorded it. So we had a, a way to go back and present video post for the explanation. It was a technical call. Here's all the moving parts and here's expectations and relationship and who we are and what we're about. And all these things were happening on this call. I went into a meeting with a hundred people explaining in my first week, well, let me tell you about an epic fail that I had this week. Maybe you guys could get something out of this. I don't know if you were aware we weren't being the new people in the room that teams doesn't work externally. I had multiple people coming to me saying, you can't talk about your failures at work, which I laughed at because, again, I'm leading a team who we all agreed in our expectations. We're going to do some things that people have never done before. We're going to innovate some things. We're going to streamline some processes. We built a communications model where we were going to be available for consult, context, sounding boards. And we did it in a way that nobody had done before, and it was successful. 
that had to be a creative process. You have to know that there's going to be failure in any creative process. So I had the great opportunity to talk to people, mentor them through why failure is important, why it shouldn't be hidden, why it shouldn't be hushed or shoved under the rug, because that develops the exact opposite of what we're talking about today. It develops a false narrative. It tells people they need to be perfect. And if you can't show this perfect product or this perfect thing or this perfect process that you've developed, then you shouldn't be talking about it. There are so many wonderful, beautiful, creative people that work in that department that have so many great ideas and care so deeply about people by communicating epic fails in other things. Mm-hmm. That opens up the conversation for things I don't know where somebody can jump in and go, hey, did you know this person is doing this and they're doing it this way? And it led to us shortening the process. We got input from other areas of the division, other areas of those bureaus at the state it made us better to show, hey, here's where we're experiencing some issues. Anybody got any insight? I, I really want to dive into Simon Sinek and the first pancake sucks. Hey, uh, I made a pancake. I think it has potential. Anybody have any insight on how I might make this pancake better and bring it to the team? That's what it allows you to do. Yeah. Do not fear that your pancake isn't perfect. That's I'm sorry, that's stupid. <laughs> that's a waste of your time and everybody else's. You're going to screw yeah. up. It's okay to screw up. Go a million miles an hour in the wrong direction. When you realize it's the wrong direction, stop. Yeah. Go a different direction. Ask for some directions. Get a map if there's somebody who has that experience. Get a mentor. This is something we'll come back to repeatedly because it was such a huge part of our culture and it it was a linchpin. I mean, it, it became a core principle at, at some point and, and that's something else we'll get into as well. Do you think it built more trust in that group of 10, 11 people than anything else? Being able to openly say, hey, here's where we goofed. I think I've been told, I always mess this word up, unequivocally. I've been told by every single person that that was one of their favorite parts. I've, I've gone to every individual and asked, what's the favorite part of working on my team? And that's always in the top three. Yeah. It's like I was allowed to make mistakes and own them and not feel guilty or shame. Actually... They can feel guilty. Guilt is fine. If you're a Brene Brown follower, <clears throat> guilt is acceptable because that's guilt is placed upon yourself. You're you're inflicting that. Shame is usually what you feel when other people are doing it to you. So yeah. being able to make a mistake and not feeling shamed by that is a big deal to people. It's always what I wanted. Now, part of it for me was I had I have always had very th- not always. I have developed very thick skin. And, uh, I just, I just became that person that would own my, my mistakes and people thought what they thought. I had a boss at one point that was like, you can't, you can't say that. I'm like, yes, I can. <laughs> I can. Cause I did. And it's fine. I'm, I still have a job. Do I not? Yes. Okay. The person that you're afraid of me tainting their opinion of me, did they say anything about it? Well, no, then we're really fine to, to bring all this home, to, to wrap this up. The last thing that I think is extremely important um, when you're when you're new to a team or they're new to you, however you want to word it, is you from day one you want to work on cohesion. All of the groundwork we just talked about is about getting to know them, allowing them to get to know you. But the encouragement for them to get to know the rest of their team and then the facilitation of that, the guiding of that, is massive, especially if you were leading leaders, but it's true for any team, any team at all. If you can do it interdepartmentally, you're a master. It, it's really difficult to do, especially in giant corporations, to get departments on board with each other. You have to have real solid teamwork. Government agencies yeah. trying to get on board with each other. It, that's, <laughs> that's a mountain. But what you can do is encourage people to get along on your own team. And I mentioned it earlier. This was one of the expectations I had. I'm not asking you to trust them with your children. I am asking you to trust them with your job, with tasks that you need to get done, build the trust for them, whatever. Like you want to have a situation where even if you don't always get along with your teammates, you know, they have your back. That was maybe more critical than anything else for me. This is this. I I mentioned it earlier that this is the 300 thing. These are the Spartans. They didn't always get along. Sometimes they bickered with each other, but when it came time to battle, 
They always protected each other with their shields. They just, there was no question. And if you've seen the movie, I mean, it's, it's sort of fiction based on whatever. It's an interpretation, but it's a really good example of their fighting style, which is renowned. And it's just a, it's, it's just like the Marines. It's like, it's unfortunate that a lot of the good examples have to do with violence, but those are, you know, for good or for bad, those are some of the best possible examples. But I would explain that. And it would just, like I said, we're just, that's another thing, much like vulnerability. This is the kind of thing that if it is one of your expectations, you got to go in gently. You're just laying the groundwork. You're just telling them this is, this is the expectation. I'm not expecting you to trust these people tomorrow. I'm not expecting you to trust them next week and vice versa, by the way, you got to earn it just as much as you are asking for it. Both parties have to earn it. And, and the team that you're coming to understands that if you have, this is, this is if you're talking to one person who's coming to your team. If you're new to the team, you can instead paint the picture. This is where I would like us to be. And again, very gently say, I understand it's not going to happen overnight. may not even happen over the course of a month or two. But rest assured, it will be very important to me that you all trust each other to get the work done so that we don't have to worry about that part. When we're having team meetings, I don't want to be constantly thinking, oh, this, this person didn't get this thing done and I asked them to do it. Like, you don't even want to have to have that situation. Ideally, you'd have a situation where you've already had a conversation with that person and you're going in a team meeting knowing that you guys already worked this out. That's an ideal. And that's just a little taste. That's just a little example. So I'll use that as you're going to not get along with people. We're humans. It's just going to happen. Even if you have harmony, there's going to be times when you're, you're either your feelings are going to be hurt or you're going to hurt somebody else's feelings. And you want to know that you can go to that person and have a conversation about it, work it out between yourselves because there's this common ground that we need to trust each other to take care of the job. Even if that doesn't mean we're going to go hang out tonight and our kids are going to have a play date, it doesn't have to mean that. It can just mean taking care of each other at work. That's the last topic we should cover with this episode is team unity. And this is really, we, we skipped ahead earlier, but this is one of the reasons where why can come into play. Why are you here? I'm going to tell you why I'm here, which is I my, my number one for many, many years has been I want to work on a team that wins. I'm a competitive person. I mentioned that I used to be competitive for myself. I wanted to win. Now I just want to be a part of a winning team. And I, I lay that out and I tell somebody that's part of my expectations. I'm not expecting you to be a competitive nut job. You can leave that to me and to the other competitive <laughs> nut jobs on the team. We have a mutual friend, the one that introduced him to the job who is not a competitive person in most instances, get him on the basketball court. That's a different story. But in work especially, he was never a competitive person and he leveled with me right from the very beginning when I laid out this expectation. He said, I'm probably never going to be your number one performer, but I won't be your last. I was like, good enough for me, man. Oh. Scramble for the middle because I run a top performing team and as long, even if you're the last one on my team, you're still probably better than most other of your peers outside of the team. But again, I'm getting a little braggy. Uh, for me, there's, there's some things that really resonate in there and why I do this why we're doing this podcast. So when I came to Max, we had a very similar conversation in my first one-on-one. -on -one and I said, you know, I, I'm, I'm probably never going to be the top performer, but that's not how I define success. Success for me at, at that point and still at this point is giving people the knowledge and the tools to close the gaps so that they can ascertain that next step towards the dream job. And I've said this so many times and I, I took it from Max. I don't care if it's inside these walls or outside these walls. I want to help you become who you were supposed to become. I want to be a person that's a touchstone on that journey of your life where you truly can come back and ask questions later on, even if you're working somewhere else, because I want to give that away. Success to me is how many people become leaders and promote out to different roles that are that next step for them. It, it made me successful because when you invest in people, when they are successful, you are successful by proxy. So it's, it's something that is really fulfilling and satisfying because I get to be one of the things that's most important to me, which is a good human. And by being a good human and being supportive, even if you were failing at something, 
the conversation is about the plan. It's about support. It's about how do we make sure that we put you in your best position so that that doesn't happen again. It's never, I can't believe what you did to us. You made us look like idiots. You made yourself look like an idiot. You failed. It's never about that because the value set that I have and the why I'm here is to close those gaps and give that information away. There, there are points where it's happened so often that it's not that they can't do it. It's that they don't want to do it or that it's not a good job fit, which is, God, that could be an entire episode on its own. One of the things we've mentioned is sometimes leaders become a leader that just you inherit something because you were successful and they want you to pass on your knowledge of how to be successful in a role to these 10 people who now report to you. The thing that's so interesting about that to me is this idea of not knowing how to do that and not knowing the process that you would go through in order to get to know them And a lot of times those people haven't self-reflected. They've been so busy with what they're doing and how they've done it. It's been for them. I'm here because I'm past that point where to be successful as a leader, I fully understand the fact that that's about the other 10 people who report to me being successful. It has nothing to do with me. Being able to have them have that self-worth and feel empowered and understand, oh, if I don't know that, I can go learn that. Having the ability to come to me and go, hey, I don't know how to do this and I want to learn how. Can I mentor with somebody? Can I take a class? Can I do a LinkedIn learning class? Can I can I do Clifton Strengths so that I can understand better what it is? Yes. Yes, you can. Mm-hmm. That energy to me is palpable. It goes beyond money. It goes beyond anything else. It's just simply that's what I want to do when I am doing work. Work. Mm-hmm. Helping other people become the best versions of themselves based on what their core principles are, what their values are, and who they want to become. So today we talked about connecting with teammates, building relationships, uh, getting to know them, uh, their needs, setting expectations, uh, boundaries, uh, essentially getting to know one another. We talked about a few different ideas on how to put that together from Clifton Strengths or DISC assessments or Myers-Briggs. Uh, And then working on the team with why are they there? Why are you there as a leader? What is the intent that you're working from on a daily basis? And we covered a myriad of touch points that we will have as specific episodes down the line. But if something resonated with you, throw it down in in the comments, ask questions, send us an email. Uh, We'd be happy to start answering some of those questions as we roll through this. And it may help actually color and develop the direction of how we're able to respond and give you what you need as your mentors in this space. Most of all, remember, if you're not having any fun, you're doing it wrong.